This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends and fellow fruit bearers, what is the most powerful promise in the Bible? It wouldn't really be right to rank them, since God's gospel promises to, despite our unworthiness, to forgive our sins, make us holy, raise us from the dead, and take us to heaven are all equally important expressions of His love and strength. And knowing that He keeps these promises makes all the difference for us. But in what we might call the second tier of scriptural promises is one that stands out as especially powerful for believers, or should, because of how it changes our lives and alters our outlook when we're dealing with troubles in our lives, from the mildly annoying to the earth-shattering, from the momentary to the enduring. The Apostle Paul wrote this promise down in, in Romans 8. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. Many of us have memorized that verse and, and held it near and dear in our hearts. But that was not just some truth that the Holy Spirit zapped into the Apostle's mind when he sat down to write a letter. It was a lesson that Paul had learned firsthand over and over in some amazing ways. And while Luke never comments directly on it in the, the Spirit-inspired book of Acts, his account there of Paul's experiences makes it clear how much the apostle came to trust the Lord, to trust Him to bring good things from the bad things He allows in our lives, and how that trust was always rewarded. The events recorded in Acts 16 give us a particularly compelling example to learn from. The story picks up fairly early in Paul's second missionary tour. He and his co-worker, Silas, set out from the city of Antioch in Syria and, and revisited the areas of Asia Minor that, that Paul and Barnabas had preached in on their first journey. Along the way, Paul adds a young man, Timothy, to their group. They traveled from town to town, encouraging the believers in the, the infant churches that had been planted there. But they had a, a hunger and a drive inside them that, that would not be satisfied with merely going over the same ground. They had a commission to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to people and places who had never heard it before. And so they made a plan for more missionary work and moved on. They were undoubtedly thinking strategically. Where can we go to reach the most people and have the greatest impact? And the place that fit the bill was the Roman province of Asia, which later gave its name to the entire continent. Now, Asia, the province, was not only rich and, and populous, 
It had major cities like Ephesus, Pergamum, and Smyrna, and trade connected it to the entire Mediterranean world. So Paul and his companions set off in that direction, to that mission field. But God said, no. Exactly how the Holy Spirit communicated that, that they weren't to go to Asia, that we're not told. But this bad news upended their plans. So they had to try again. Maybe further north? The former kingdom of Bithynia lay on the Black Sea, and success planning the church there would have given them access to vast territories on its shores and beyond. But again, the Spirit did not allow it. Their plans to do God's work seemed frustrated at every turn. So their next turn was toward the Aegean, to the city of Troas on the coast. And it appears they didn't have much time to ponder their next move while they were there. In the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia who stood there and urged him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so from their frustration, God gave them a new direction and a larger mission field than they had dared to dream of before. The continent of Europe and the heart of the Roman Empire. Before they set sail, though, they picked up another companion, Luke himself joins the group. They crossed the sea and made their way inland to the major city of Philippi, which had the status of a Roman colony. Great news, right? Fertile fields for the gospel, with God's own impetus there. But, but they did not find there what they were used to finding. Paul's practice was always to start off at the local synagogue, since the Jews who knew the Scriptures and were looking for the Messiah were already primed for the message and, and would be ideal candidates to form a new Christian congregation. But there was no synagogue in Philippi, which meant there were hardly any Jews. So what next? Somehow, they learned that there might be a place of prayer outside the city along the river. And on the Sabbath, they went there. But they found no Jewish men to be future leaders, only some women who had gathered there, and they weren't even all Jewish. But God brought good from this. When they spoke the gospel to these women, the Spirit led one of them, Lydia, to faith in Christ. Now she was a well-to-do dealer in purple cloth, and after she and her household were baptized, she urged Paul and his co-workers, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. So in their first days in Philippi, God had not only given them the nucleus of a congregation, but had provided them a comfortable base of operations in this unfamiliar city, from down to up again. So all is good, right? And it sure seemed that way at first. 
They shared the gospel with whomever they could for a while. But one day, as they were going through the city, they were met by a slave girl. The girl herself was no problem. It was the demon inside her that made trouble. The girl's owners made a large profit off of this spirit's knack for telling fortunes. But when Paul and the others came along, she followed them and kept crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way to be saved. Now at first it may seem unusual to call that a problem. After all, that was the truth. But of course, no evil spirit wanted to draw anyone to the gospel. It wanted instead to discredit the message. To better understand, imagine how you would feel if a spokesman for the Ku Klux Klan issued a statement saying, when we're in Clarksville, we go to the only church that gets things right. Join us at Christ Lutheran Church. Yeah. So this endorsement hardly helped the cause of the gospel. And the slave girl, or rather her, the spirit within her, kept it up for many days. Finally, Paul had had enough of this trailing tormentor and turned to the spirit and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it did. Immediately. It had no choice. Yea, you might have guessed already that this wasn't all good. Instead of rejoicing that the slave girl had been set free from this demon, her owners were, shall we say, ticked off. They were not going to be making any money off of her anymore. So they grabbed hold of Paul and Silas, dragged them into the market, presented them to the magistrates and said, these men are throwing our city into a state of confusion. They are Jews and they are teaching customs that are, are not lawful for us to accept it or practice since we are Romans. Now, from what happened next, we can guess that Paul and Silas never got a chance to say anything in their own defense because there was a really good reason why the magistrates would have wanted to listen to them. But that didn't matter in the moment. A crowd formed, joined in the abuse, and in order to settle things down, the magistrates had the two missionaries stripped and beaten severely, and then threw them into prison. And because he was ordered to guard them securely, the jailer put them in the innermost part and put their feet into stocks. Good times for the gospel, huh? From a promising start to prison stocks. From way up to way down. They had done everything right and everything asked of them. These were God's servants doing God's works, doing nothing more offensive than telling people how to be saved. And this is how they end up. They hadn't committed any gross sins. 
They had been faithful to their callings. Their consciences would have testified that this was an injustice. They did not deserve this, especially after all they had done and still wanted to do for the Lord. You can imagine Silas as his legs cramped up in the stocks and his muscles screamed from the beating, turning to Paul and saying something like, Whose great idea was it to come to Philippi anyway? But no, that is not what he did or said. Paul and Silas knew their Lord and understood what he does with other people's evil intentions. He takes their worst and makes it what's best for his people. And so midnight found those two not crying in agony, not railing against injustice, and not drowning in self-pity, but praying and singing hymns to God. And the whole prison was listening to them and their witness. And then, suddenly, the earth shook. The quake was so violent that the prison's foundations were shaken, the doors were opened, and everyone's chains came loose. God had again come through for his children. But it was more than that. Because what the Lord had just done again was create an opportunity. Paul and Silas in the right place at the right time to speak of Jesus to someone whose heart and mind were in just the right condition to listen. The jailer was about to kill himself because in those days the guard who lets his prisoners escape has to take their punishment. And he didn't want that. But Paul shouted out, Don't harm yourself because we are all here. The jailer called for lights. He rushed into the prison. He fell at the feet of Paul and Silas, trembling, understanding that somehow this earthquake was connected to them being there. And then he brought them outside and asked the most important question that could be asked. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, did he understand exactly what he was asking? Probably not. But what mattered was the answer, not the question. Paul and Silas did not hesitate to tell him the truth he needed to hear, which is the truth all people need to hear, whether they're feeling receptive to it or not. They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. The jailer asked what to do, but they answered, not do, trust, trust Christ. Now maybe he had heard something about Jesus when they were singing and praying, but they weren't going to leave it at that. So they followed up by teaching the jailer and everyone in his home, telling them everything they needed to know about their problem of sin and how it leads to death and hell for every sinner, but how God himself provided a solution, the only possible solution to that problem in the person of his own son, Jesus Christ, 
who suffered and died as all sinners deserve to suffer and die so that no sinners would have to suffer the eternal death that is hell. Paul and Silas spoke to the jailer and his family of the one true God who is neither vengeful nor capricious, but merciful and full of grace, who sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we may live through Him. And they spoke like John of love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And one more Philippian family believed and was saved. Without delay, they all were baptized, receiving that gospel washing away of their sins and and the gift of faith and life. And in turn, the jailer washed the wounds of Paul and Silas, eager now to love and do for others as Jesus had loved and done for him. He gave his life for his friends. The jailer brought them into his house and gave them food, and he rejoiced. The terror that he had felt at midnight had been replaced and and repurposed by his loving Lord to bring him the peace and joy of Jesus. A good thing. Another good thing came the next morning. The magistrates, remember them, sent officers to the prison ordering the release of Paul and Silas. But that turned into a not-so-good thing for those city officials because Paul had something to say to them now that there was no agitated mob keeping them from listening. They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now they are releasing us secretly? Absolutely not! Let them come themselves and escort us out. Oops. As a Roman colony, Philippi knew the importance of Roman citizenship. And everything that they had done to Paul and Silas was a big no-no. They had done it very publicly. Those magistrates could have been severely punished themselves for their disrespect. So when they heard that the two missionaries were Roman citizens, they came themselves to the prison. They apologized to Paul and Silas. They escorted them from the jail. And then, instead of ordering, they asked them, nicely we imagine, to leave the city. Now, if you're thinking that Paul and Silas then said, fat chance, we're staying as long as we like, and then had a long ministry in Philippi, then perhaps you haven't noticed the pattern. They had to leave the promising, still-developing church there behind. Because even though they had been vindicated, they still were not welcome. So the two made one last visit to Lydia's house to see and encourage their new brothers and sisters in Christ, And then they left to go to the next city the Spirit had in mind that happened to be Thessalonica. And there also, they did everything right, faithfully teaching the message of Jesus, and they gained some converts. And guess what? They almost got killed and were run out of town there too. 
But the gospel was preached and another church was planted. If he hadn't known it before, Paul certainly knew it by the time they left Philippi. Neither other people's evil nor our seemingly good intentions are any match for God's perfect, loving, indomitable will. His plans for us may not always involve happiness, prosperity, or peaceful relationships, but they will always involve His love, wisdom, and power, doing what is best for us and for His church. And one of the things that is always best is growing in faith and growing closer to the Lord, which makes our trials and troubles, as odd as this may sound, gifts from God. Enduring things like unemployment, an abusive marriage, a a worrisome illness, an unending depression, family upheavals, or deep poverty, It's certainly unpleasant and often unfair. But such trials and testing lead us back again and again. As as we saw with Paul and Silas in the depths of their prison, they lead us back to the Word of God and its promises and to prayer that holds God to His promises. Like the ones in today's Gospel that, that tell us if we remain in Christ We will have joy, complete joy, and we will bear much fruit no matter what. And that the Father will give you whatever you ask in Jesus' name. Even if that kind of growth is all that comes from our troubles, it is good for us, better than any alternative. But who knows? what other blessings and surprises God may have in store for us when we trust, when we trust that He knows what He is doing as Lord of our lives and ruler of the universe. What a joy it will be to discover, whether it's next week or or in heaven, looking back at the entirety of our lives, to discover how the Father has been so generous with His grace and has mercifully mastered the ups and downs so that we always end up standing with Him. And though God certainly makes good things into even better things, we find special comfort in seeing how expertly and lovingly He makes good things out of bad things. He does this. He promises for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, for the church, for all the baptized, for you, for me, for our good, for sure, forever. Hallelujah. Amen. Please rise. The God of all grace, who called you into His eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will Himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.